to admit that this series is messing with me a little bit. Um, these stories that many of them I've heard since my childhood have felt fresh and new and maybe even a little bit painful at times and convicting. Um, in fact, during our recent vacation, our family went to Ireland for a few weeks and um, we just got back. But on our trip, I had what I would like to describe as a parable-inspired emotional moment um, that my lovely family got to witness. Um, I'm going to give my version of the story. So, um, you know, certain ones of my family that you could get a probably embellished version of this story, but I'm going to tell you mine. Um, it started with a day of exploring a beach. Um, just a beautiful spot. It's way too cold there to go into the water for this person here, but we just decided to go and to explore um, the rocks around the beach and the fields. And as we were exploring, um, it started pouring down rain, which happens in Ireland very, uh, very often. And so I clearly remember putting my cell phone into my rain jacket and zipping it up and trying, you know, as quickly as I can to get back to our car. And then when we got to the car, I remember taking my rain jacket off and throwing it in the trunk, or the boot, as they call it in, in Ireland, um, and then got in and we took off. Then I couldn't quite remember what I did with my cell phone. Did I leave it in my rain jacket? Did I take it up front? I looked kind of around, couldn't find it anywhere um, with me, so I assumed it must be in the rain jacket. And so we kept driving, it was raining, and then it stopped raining maybe an hour later, and we stopped at another beautiful spot. Larry gets out to take some pictures, and I thought, okay, this is a great opportunity for me to look in the trunk for my phone. Look in the jacket, it isn't there. Look all over the trunk, it isn't there. I'm starting to panic, as I do when I lose my phone frequently. And um, so, there are a lot of stories about that. But anyway, so then I go up front. I'm looking all over the, the car. Larry comes over, who calmly looks for my phone, all through the trunk, all through the car. The girls get out of the car. They're all looking. We can't find my phone. We call the phone. Um, can't find it. So Larry says to me, I'm very upset, and Larry says to me, do you want to go look for it, or do you just want to call it lost? And I was like, I want to go look for it. So that means Larry has to drive back through the windy roads um, to go back to the spot to look for it. And while we're doing that, uh, everybody's kind of like quiet in the back, and I am clearly very upset. But then, we're driving through Ireland, there are sheep everywhere in Ireland. So they're on the side of the road, they're on the road, they're just everywhere. So, I'm reminded of this story of a lost sheep, and one lost sheep compared to 99. And in Ireland, I get it, they're everywhere. Why would you leave to look for one sheep when there's so many more out there. Why would you try to do that? And then I'm thinking about my lost phone and there's this woman in the parable who looks for one coin. It doesn't worth much and still she looks over and over again to find this lost coin. And here, you know, Larry's like, you wanna just call it lost, this phone? You know, I don't have the most expensive phones because um, we have five people in our family and one is always breaking. So we don't spend that much money on our phones, but they're still worth a lot of money. And, and we were just willing to say it's lost without even looking for it. And so I'm having, as we're driving through, it is so much more than my phone at this point. I am having a moment where I feel like God is teaching me something and he's speaking into my life about the importance 
of lost of people and, and of us being with God and um, the importance of my life here. And so um, we get back to the beach. I get out. It stopped raining, so I'm looking around. And, of course, I didn't find the phone anywhere. So then I get back in the seat, and everybody's just kind of calmly, you know, just like, okay, it's okay, Mom. We looked, you know, trying to encourage me. And so I, I stick my hand down into the pocket of uh, the, like, the passenger side of the door, and I feel my phone. Now, I had checked that spot. Larry had checked that spot. But it just fell in this one spot that it kind of got hidden. And so I, re I get the phone. And I'm like, I I'm so sorry, guys. I found this phone. And then I just start crying. And I'm like, and the sheep, and there's so many sheep, and, and the coin, and, and they are all just kind of like, whoa. I, you know, like, you know, this is the things we deal with having a mom who's a pastor. It's like, you never know what you're going you're gonna to get. So today's parable is another challenging story. It's difficult for us to understand. It's complicated. It isn't easy. And that fits because Jesus said he used parables because they weren't easy. And today, the parable that we're going to look at today, at this point, it's the very end of his ministry. And so he's had three years, and he speaks this parable just to his close followers. Many of the parables he teaches to the large cloud, but crowd, but this one, he just speaks to his, his followers. And so they've followed him through three years and have learned that not only are Jesus's parables challenging, but life following Jesus is challenging. And so likely this um, parable is told in the last week of Jesus's life. And so during that time, his followers have seen that um, Jesus has been questioned, he's been confronted, he's been doubted, he's um, even been accused. And the hatred against him, it's rising, and they can feel it. And so here Jesus is trying to um, prepare his followers for what's coming very soon, his arrest and when he will be killed. The days ahead are not going to be easy. But he also then tries to prepare them for the future in 40 years when Jerusalem will be under attack. And so he's trying to warn them that it will be severe. So when we look in Matthew chapter 24, um, we're going to look at verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away. And when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings, he said, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So here, two things are happening. Um, the disciples are asking, how, how can we be prepared when this happens, when um, Jerusalem will be under attack, so that they'll be able to flee with their family and survive? And what Jesus tells them in the later verses of chapter 24 is that they will have to meet, leave immediately, that it will come very quickly. And what we know is that many of the things that Jesus predicts here in this chapter actually do occur. They were written down um, by the historian Josephus later in that, um, 
the things that happened in Jerusalem when it was under siege and attacked in 70 AD, and over a million Jews were killed. But also within this discussion, Jesus is also preparing them for the day when he will return, which is a little bit confusing because here Jesus hasn't died yet. He hasn't resurrected. He hasn't even gone back up to heaven, and still he's telling them to be prepared for when he returns. But that's pretty common when we look at prophecy in the Old Testament. Oftentimes, the prophets will discuss multiple apocalyptic events in one discussion. You can see that they'll um, maybe talk about something that's going to happen to um, the nation of Israel, but then also talking about when the Messiah will come. And Jesus is doing a similar thing here. He's talking about both the attack on Jerusalem and to be prepared for that, but also talking about being prepared for when he returns. And so in verse 42, he says, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And then Jesus continues to try to have his followers be prepared by telling them a series of parables. And so the first parable he tells is a, a story about a master who leaves for a while, doesn't say how long he's going to be gone, but, and he puts his servant in charge. And the servant uh, isn't expecting the master to return very quickly, and so he's surprised. He's caught unprepared, and he's actually behaving very shamefully um, when the master arrives because he isn't prepared for the time that he will come. And then Jesus tells another parable about a bride and her bridesmaids. 10 bridesmaids um, who are waiting for the groom to come up, to come to them, and to take them to the place where the wedding is going to happen, which was a practice at that time. And so it's in the story, um, they're waiting a long time, and five of the bridesmaids are prepared. They have enough oil in their lamp to wait as long as the groom takes to come. But five are not prepared. They didn't bring enough oil. They expected the groom to come quicker than he arrived. And so then Jesus tells the parable that we're going to focus on today. But before we read that parable, I want us to remember that parables are not allegories. And what that means is there is not a direct comparison between everything in the parable and how God works or how God's kingdom works. And that's very important for us to remember. We also have to acknowledge that for many of us, we've heard this parable before. Maybe you've heard many different interpretations or teachings on this parable. Uh, and what I would like us all to do is try to um, maybe forget those for a minute. And instead, just try to hear the story in a fresh way, trying to imagine just that Jesus is answering a question from his friends. His friends are asking the question, how do we live so that we're prepared? What do we do? And he answers that with a story. And so Larry's going to pass out um, the, the parable um, in both English and Spanish um, for us. 
it was a little bit too long for us to make slides, and uh, it's nice to actually take it with you and, and focus on it this week. But in this, he is just answering the question, how do we live so that we're prepared? And he does this over and over again with parables, and he says, imagine if the kingdom was like, and then he tells a story. And so that is what we're going to do today. We're going to imagine the story. I'm waiting a little bit to make sure you guys all have the pages. All right, this is in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Again, it, referring to the kingdom, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold. Now I'm going to just stop there a minute and acknowledge that this is the NIV translation. Um, they're using gold to, to describe the currency um, that the, the master gives his servants. Many of you have probably heard this story before using the word talent. Talent is just a, um, the name of the currency that, um, that Jesus used at the time. It was actually a large amount of money worth perhaps 20 years worth of wages for a common laborer. So a lot, it was worth a lot. So we'll use gold, but um, just for reference, that's, if you remember the parable of the talents, this is the same parable. All right, so he gave five bags of gold to one, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the bag with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag, he went off, he dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. After a long time, after a long time, the master of those servants returned, and he settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he says, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathered where you have not scattered seed. And so I was afraid. So I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then... You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. 
For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is a shocking ending, right? Extreme. Some of my daughters might say, that's a little extra, right? So, um, but Jesus uses that ending in several of, of the parables that he tells, especially at the end of Matthew. And for the Jewish listeners, they would have recognized this as extreme language that is used to make a point, um, that is exaggerated to make a point. And that was a normal practice for parable, to use parables in Jewish teaching. So they would have recognized that this is exaggerated language. And I, I also just want to talk about, um, it's normal when you read these parables that sometimes there's parts of this that can kind of like rub you the wrong way and just go, oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. And I, I think um, some of that is meant to make us feel uncomfortable, but some of that happens sometimes when we try to make direct correlations between God and the master in this story. Just because um, it maybe is a representation of God or Jesus, it doesn't mean that how he behaves in the story is a direct representation of who God is and how he behaves all the time, or um, how things work out in this story isn't necessarily a representation of how it works in the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that um, the ending that is so extreme, it isn't telling us exactly what's going to happen to those who aren't prepared. It also isn't about how um, God is trying to endorse a certain type of, of economy right? He isn't telling us how he wants us to invest our money. And maybe you have heard that used before, but um, I don't think that is what is happening here in this parable. Um, I've, I've read lots of different uh, of, um, explanations of this, um, teachings of this parable this week, and I came across an interesting quote from um, the British Prime Minister during the 80s, Margaret Thatcher, um, she said this about this parable. She says, remember the parable of the talents in the New Testament. She says, Christ exhorts us to be the best we can be by developing our skills and our abilities, by succeeding in all our tasks and endeavors. What better description can there be for capitalism? So this morning, I just want to say this isn't a discussion about capitalism. It isn't about politics. It isn't about Margaret Thatcher. Um, but I just want to say that this explanation of hers is missing a very important understanding of what Jesus is teaching here. Although this parable is about money or gold or treasure, the, that's the object that the servants receive, that that doesn't mean that that's what this parable is necessarily all about. Jesus is inviting us instead to imagine the kingdom where economics aren't just about money, actually. It isn't just about wealth. It isn't about building and acquiring so that we can be successful. And I think that is the point that uh, Margaret Thatcher might have been trying to make here. Like, we, we need to use everything so that we can be successful. That's what Jesus wants 
I don't know if that's what she was trying to say. But I, I think that Jesus is trying to say more. That kingdom economics are actually about building the kingdom, God's kingdom. And when we do that, it's actually rarely about us. It's actually about loving God and loving others. It's about building a kingdom here on earth that works the way that God works in heaven. And that's what the parables were all about. Jesus is trying to explain to these people how the world, this world, imagine a world, my kingdom, that works differently than this world does. And so that is why Jesus answers the question with this parable, how should we live? How should we live in this time where Jesus' kingdom is here, but yet it's not fully reigning here on earth, right? The way it is in heaven. So we're in this in-between time where Jesus' kingdom is here, but it isn't quite yet fully reigning. So how do we live in that space? How do we live when we don't know when war will arrive or death or Christ's return? How do we choose to live? And so the master in the parable, he hands each of his servants something that they're responsible for. And it looks different for each of them. But what he gives them, we have to remember, it isn't theirs. It's something that they're supposed to use to build wealth for the master. But it isn't their money. It's always his. And I believe that God has given us, he's entrusted us with something as well. Each one of us has received this gift, this one life. It encompasses so much more than our stuff and our money, even more than our talents and our abilities. He has given us this life. How will we use it? Will we use it to acquire for ourselves, or will we use it to build his kingdom? Now, I want us to use our imaginations for a moment this morning. What I want you to do is imagine yourself making a list. And it would be too hard for you to actually make a list this morning, but imagine yourself making this list, okay? And on this list, I want you to write everything you own, all your stuff. Can you imagine making a list, writing everything you have in your home? Maybe you don't own your home or your apartment, but you still are able to be there. It's yours to be there. Put that on the list. All your stuff. If you have anything in the bank account, You'd add that. Yeah. Now I want you to add to that list all your relationships, your family, friends, people in this church. Add your neighbors, your coworkers, all your relationships. Can you imagine the list? It's getting longer and longer. Now add to that list all your special abilities, all the things that you've learned over the years. Sometimes you learn them in ways you wish you hadn't, right? 
through life experience hard times, but things that you know how to do now through your life. Maybe you went to school, so you would write that on there, things that you have put on that list. Maybe there are special gifts that you have, things that you can do that not everybody can do. I wish I could paint. Some of you can do that. So many abilities that we have been given. Think about that and put that on the list. But now, on top of the list, I want you to write, or imagine writing, the grace, the love, and the mercy that Jesus has given you. Each one of us have been given that gift. Can you imagine the list? And now when you look at that list, I want you to think about what are the fears that keep you from sharing the things on that list? Your stuff, your money, your time, your talents, sharing your relationships. What's the fear? Is it the fear that there won't be enough left for you? Maybe it's the fear that if you don't take care of yourself, God won't take care of you. Or maybe it's a fear that you'll get hurt, like you've been hurt before. So that fear keeps you from maybe sharing things on that list. And the last thing I want you to think about, I'm going to give you a time to just kind of connect to God and ask him this question. What would it look like for you to be brave enough to take risks to share that, that thing that you don't want to share to build the kingdom? What would that look like for you? I'm just going to give you a moment to ask God that question, and I'm hoping something comes to mind. What would it take for you to be brave? What would it look like for you to be brave and take risks to build God's kingdom? This one life. How do we live when we don't know when Christ will return or this one life ends? I don't mean to be morbid this morning. But I think it's time to just acknowledge that this day today has been given to us with no guarantee of tomorrow. And that's a reality that has become a little bit more real for me as I've gotten older um, because I've lost people that I didn't expect to lose as soon as I did. And what losing them meant for me was it taught me to value each day, each year of my life, but my life sharing it with others because um, every day is not a guarantee. So I told you that these parables, they're messing with me, right? We have to acknowledge that. Um, and then uh, a week and a half ago, I was, um, again, kind of caught off guard by just the fragility of life. Um, I have shared before that uh, when I lived in Ohio and my kids were really young, that I was a part of this wonderful women's Bible study. 
Um, so for about five years, I shared um, this Bible study with mostly the same women. And we were all mostly in the same situation where we you know, had very young kids, struggling to get through um, what that looked like for each of us. You know, for our parents were aging in different ways, and you know, some of them were um, sick, and um, different people were losing jobs. And we just walked through all of that with one another and really shared our lives with one another. And um, those women were probably the hardest for me to leave. Um, <clears throat> they have a very special place in my heart. And so... Um, I was surprised to learn um, uh, that one of those uh, women, my friend Julie, on August 8th, um, her 16-year-old daughter was killed in a car accident. <clears throat> Just complete surprise. She was learning how to drive with her grandparents and was killed immediately in the car accident. And I have to tell you, I was shocked. How could it happen? She was 16, um, and just a few days before, my friend Julie had shared that she was so excited that her daughter Kayla had um, gotten to be the drum major for her school's marching band, and, and she had wrote on Facebook, we're so excited about this year, the school year coming up. And I just, I struggled. I really struggled because, you know, she's 16. I remember what she looked like as a preschooler. I remember her playing with my daughters. And I just couldn't believe that it had happened. But then over the next couple of days, I watched my friend Julie use her pain and grief to build God's kingdom. She and her husband and their other daughter, Rachel, shared with everything, everyone around them, um, the comfort that they found from knowing that their daughter was with Jesus. And as they tried to deal with the, the grief and the absence of the little girl, their little girl in their life, what they found was comfort by going into her bedroom and finding all of these little um, pieces of her heart, little memos that she wrote, and books and books of um, her prayer journals. They keep finding them. Every day, they keep finding more and more. Um, these prayer journals in them talking about her heart and her declaration of the difference that she wanted to make in people's lives, in her faith and deep, deep devotion to God. And so Julie and her husband, um, Jeff, they shared their daughter's prayers with her school friends who gathered together and were suffering and hurting. And they shared them on Facebook with family and the community around them. And they shared them in the newspaper in Cincinnati and on the news, on um, several news uh, <clears throat> programs on TV, shared her words. And this is just um, one of the things that she wrote in her prayer journal for her friends in her journal. She wrote, use every painful experience, every heartbroken moment, to mold them into the person you want them to be. Her father said at her funeral that as he read through her journals, he felt like she was writing her own memorial service for those she loved. And so when her family and friends gathered for her funeral service, her parents talked about the way that Kayla lived her life. And she shared with everyone that she was intentional, even at 16. 
and that she was all about building God's kingdom. And they showed this photo of Kayla, this beautiful photo. It has special meaning to them because she's wearing the t-shirt that um, their church gives out when um, ch they choose to be baptized and follow Jesus and make Jesus the Lord of their life. And on the front of the t-shirt, it says, I have decided. And on the back, it says, no turning back. And so in this picture, they can look at it and see she made a decision and there was no turning back and they know where she is. And at the funeral, they invited everyone there to make that same decision. And they said, we have the t-shirts available for you. And so I'm just gonna show you what happened. Over 20 people decided they wanted to make Jesus the Lord of their life and Jeff and Julie baptized each one of them. Use every painful experience, every heartbroken moment to mold them into the person you want them to be. God gives us this one life, lovingly gives us this gift. We don't know when it will end, but I know that I want to be like Kayla, and I want to use my life to build the kingdom, and I want my daughters to do that, and I want that for each of you as well. What part of your life are you hiding and not using for God's kingdom out of fear? What might it look like for you to share every part of yourself with abandon, to build God's kingdom? And maybe this morning, some of you feel like it's time for you to make that decision to follow Jesus and to say, I've decided no turning back. I want to make that same choice. I want to be baptized and make Jesus the Lord of my life. And if you're feeling that this morning, I just want to encourage you to um, speak up today. Don't put it off another day. Please tell Larry or I or um, another leader in the church or even um, on the the communion table, there's cards there that you can write your prayer requests, anything that we can be praying for you, but just write that you want to talk about making a decision to follow Jesus today. We get this one life. Let's make it count.